So we're going to be in John 14 this morning. You want to turn there? This week in our series in the Fruit of the Spirit, we've already talked about love, we talked about joy, today we are talking about peace. Uh, and to be honest, it seems like if you look around our world, peace is in short supply, right? Because every time you turn on any sorts of news, there's conflict, just all sorts of conflict. Uh, and right now we've got, for instance, the Israel-Palestine conflict going on. We've got the Iraq and Pakistan conflict that has just started to heat up. We've got the Russia and the Ukraine thing that's been going on for a while. Uh, and then we have stuff here, even. Uh, just, I don't know, about a week ago, uh, there was a shooting in Lewiston where 18 people were killed and 13 were injured. That's conflict. That's not peace. And it's, I mean, it's all about you know, social and cultural issues, and there's all sorts of things involved with that. It's a, there's racial and ethnic issues where there's conflict and clashes. There's political issues where there's conflict. Um, then we, we go on beyond that. There's, there's terrorist bombings and nuclear threats and religious animosity, and, and you name it, and there's conflict involved, even in our own lives. We have conflict with family members, or we have conflict with friends sometimes, or with neighbors, or with people in town. And there's that old so-and-so that I don't want to talk to or see or bump into. With the, if you see them, you stay in your car until they're finished with their stuff. And then you, you know what I mean? There's, there's that sort of stuff. And it's, it's enough to make you wonder that if Jesus was, in fact, the king of peace, why does it seem to be so absent from this world that he's supposed to be mending and reestablishing his kingdom in? Well, I think the answer to this question is actually found in another question. And as we look at the fruit of the Spirit and how it's supposed to take root and grow in our lives, how can we bring peace into the world? What does that look like? And I'm not saying that we can solve all the world's problems with just us. I don't think that's the case. But, but what does it look like for us to bring peace as we're able? Do we pray for peace? Do we pray that Jesus will transform lives? Uh, do we pray that people will turn away from violence? But what about us personally? In, if our lives don't reflect the peace that we're praying for, then we're just hypocrites, right? How can we pray for something in the world that we aren't willing to have in our own lives? And today, we're going to look at what, what did Jesus say and do about peace? And we're, we're going to look again at a sort of an odd little part of a chapter. Um, we're going back to the night that Jesus was arrested, again, a little bit earlier than and the discussion from last week. So we're going to look at John 14, beginning in 25. We're going to see what he had to say and what he did involving peace. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. May God bless the reading of this word. Thanks. Okay, so we all know that in this passage, Jesus was about to face serious conflict, right? Uh, how he handled it would then end up shaping the disciples. And I think it should also shape us. I think this is, as we look at what Jesus does in these moments, this is sort of the critical moments of our faith, right? The stuff that we believe is the powerful stuff. The, not just the healing and the teaching, but his death and resurrection. And so as he faced torture and death, Jesus promised peace. And this promise is wrapped up with the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's all there together. Now, the Greek word that John used here to describe the Holy Spirit is uh, parakletos, and it, it means a, a helper or an advocate. Uh, it has legal ramifications of someone who comes alongside and helps in, an, in a legal dispute. Um, but it comes from two words, para, which means close beside, and then kaleo, which means to make a call. And so basically the idea is someone who makes a judgment call because they're close enough to the situation to speak into it. Does that make sense? And so it's used of attorneys for that very reason. They're close to the situation. They're speaking for the, the person or into the person's life. They're, they're helping with that. But in terms of the Holy Spirit and why you would use it there, the Holy Spirit is called alongside us. Now, we believe the Holy Spirit within us, is within us, but there's that, that idea that the Holy Spirit is, is alongside us and, and on this journey with us together. And the Holy Spirit is there to help us make the right judgment calls, to ground us in peace. The peace Jesus talked about is directly connected to the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so we know that this happens the night before he's arrested and and that that plays out, and then 50 days later, we have what's called Pentecost. And at Pentecost, the disciples are gathered in this same room that they're in, in this moment. And the Holy Spirit falls on each of them in an unmistakable way. It's, it's described as flames of fire, or tongues of fire, that sort of land on them in a way. And they speak and they, they are empowered from that moment forward to all the things we see that happen beyond that. They were filled and empowered by the power of God and it changed them. If you look at the stories of the disciples in the Gospels all the way up to before Pentecost, they're sort of clumsy. They're sort of faithless. They, they, they believe but they don't and they, they have trouble and they can't 
cast out demons correctly and they have issues with that and there's all these different things and they're always like what they don't understand you see the story and they don't understand what's going on and jesus says a thing and they don't get it but then pentecost happens and the holy spirit comes and all of a sudden you see a different set of disciples right they're changed and they're going and coming, they're going before the, the Sanhedrin, the religious ruling body, and they're speaking boldly there, and they're preaching the gospel at the you know, temple and at the street corners and in different towns, and it's all changed. It, they're completely changed. And then the change in them spills over and starts to change the world around them as well. And it's, it's not by violence. They didn't take up swords. They took up peace. They didn't try to bring about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven by force. That's not what they saw in Jesus, which has meant that's not the way of peace. It's not how that works. None of them ever raised a sword again. In fact, after, after Jesus corrected Peter, you never see any of them take up arms. In fact, you, all of them go to their deaths instead of that. None of them tried to, and this was the whole idea. In their mind, the kingdom of God was the kingdom of Israel, right? But none of them tried to take Israel back for God. That, that language is nowhere in the New Testament. They sort of worked quietly behind the scenes. I mean, they were loving people. They were meeting people's needs. They were speaking truth into their lives. But they weren't out there fighting. They were trying to make God's peace a reality in their lives and in the lives of others. Now, I go to war over dumb stuff. I don't know about y'all. I go to war over dumb stuff. Unmet expectations, man, I'll get, I'll get mad and huffy and, you know, perceived insults when I think someone is saying something, whether or not they are, if I think it is, I'm mad. When I feel ignored, I get upset. You know, I, all these things sort of bubble up in me and, and my peace is nowhere to be found in those situations. But Jesus offered peace and he showed us the way. We just don't like the way, right? That, that's ultimately the answer. Now here's why. If you look at verse 27 again, he says, peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. And then, here's the key, not as the world gives. It doesn't happen the way that the world expects it to. He said, then he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He's actually, uh, if you look at what he's doing, he's making one of those chiasms that we talked about. So that peace I leave with you, don't be afraid. My peace I give to you, let not your heart be troubled. And then the main line is, not as the world gives. It's emphasized because it's in the middle. And so you look at that, the key to the whole thing is that, what does that mean, not as the world gives? Well, the nature of his peace is otherworldly. It doesn't look like our version. So let's look at that for just a bit. What happens to us when things in our lives go sideways? Right? When people don't do what we want. When someone betrays our trust. When someone places us in a difficult position. 
or when our choices ruin relationships or someone else's choices ruin relationships, when we feel threatened, when we come into conflict with others, do we return to the promise of Jesus in those moments and remember the power of the Holy Spirit that can bring peace in the middle of our difficulties? The power that can ease tension, that can teach us and remind us what it looks like to enjoy the peace of Jesus. Think about this. Consider your everyday life. Are we regularly surrendering to the Holy Spirit and experiencing the peace of Jesus or are we trying to manage things ourselves and making a mess? If you go through it in the, the fruit of the Spirit all of it, is your life full of love? Or at least filling up with love? Or are you growing in that? Is it full of joy or growing in joy? Is it full of peace or growing in peace? Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives? Do we exhibit the peace that we pray for? Not as the world gives. It doesn't come from us. The world wants us to believe that, that the good things that happen in the world come from us, right? But that's not what we see in this. Jesus is not, not as the world gives. Peace doesn't come that way. It doesn't come by following the world's way, by giving into fear. What do we do? To achieve peace, when we give into fear, we use force. That's just how it works. We use force to overcome, to conquer, to defeat, to whatever, and then we have peace because we've, you know what I mean? And that's, that's a, a power over. We've talked about the power over, power under ideal. The world uses power over all the time. Exhibit power over, power over. But Jesus exhibited power under. And what I mean by that is that he gave his life. He sacrificed. He served others. His power was under. Does that make sense? I think some of the key to this too is that when we experience the peace of Jesus that's not as the world gives. When we really tap into that, our hearts aren't troubled. Even when bad things are happening in the world or in our own lives, we have peace. We're not afraid. I'm not saying there's not fear that comes and goes and we experience those moments, but we don't live in fear. We don't live wrapped up in fear of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen to, to this? Or what's going to happen in my life, in my situation? And what's going to happen in the world? Or what's going to happen in our country? Or, just, we're not going to live in fear. That's not who we are as a people of peace. In 1 John 4, 4, John went on to write, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And this echoes what Jesus said in verse 28. In 1 John, it's about the enemy. Well, that's where fear and conflict and all those things come from. But in verse 28 here, Jesus applies it to himself as well. Now why? Well, he's saying that the, the bit about the Father is greater than I, that whole thing. That's been a major controversy in the church. For all of the church's history, does that mean 
that, that there's a hierarchy in the Trinity and that the Father's up here and the Son and then the, is that what that means? And, and there's this, been this whole controversy. Is Jesus equal with the Father or not? What did he mean? When Jesus said the Father is greater, I think it simply meant at the time Jesus was on earth in human form, right? And the Father was seated on the throne. The Father was in a greater place, a greater reality. We've talked about that. How this is real, but that that's even more real, right? And so the Father is ruling from the throne of all creation. And John detailed this a bit more even in Revelation 4, describing the throne of the Father and what went on there. And in the image he painted, those gathered bow before him, laying down their crowns at his feet. And in verse 11 of, of chapter 4 of Revelation, they proclaim, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is what Jesus is referring to. The unmatched, unequaled power of the Father on the throne of all creation. How can we respond when we're troubled or afraid? How can we have peace? How can peace be real in us and through us? We trust in the unmatched, unequaled power of the Father seated on the throne. Amen. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. The power that, that Jesus then rejoined when he ascended his throne at the right hand of the Father. And it's the power that we have access to through the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. The one who comes alongside. The one making the judgment calls if we'll listen. Now in verses 30 through 31, Jesus connected all the dots. And so the ruler of this world that he's, he's speaking of, we know that's Satan, right? At the time, Satan had sort of been given dominion, in a sense, through our slavery to sin and death. But in John 12, 31, Jesus said this. He said, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And then in Hebrews 2, 14, a little later in time, right? It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise took, partook of the same things, that through death, Jesus' death and resurrection, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus has freed us from the thing that controlled us and had power over us. We don't have to give in to the troubledness of the world or our hearts or fear or all the things that come with that. We've been freed. And we can live a life with love and joy and peace. Now, Jesus was never subject to the same slavery we were, but he entered our slavery. He became one of us to rescue us. And then he says the bit about he doesn't have a claim on me. Now, Satan's power of sin and death, it had a claim on us, right? Because we submitted to it. We're slaves to it. But it had no hold on Jesus because Jesus was without sin. 
And Jesus conquered sin and death to free us. And he followed the way set out by the Father. That's what he's saying here. I do what the Father tells me. The, the ruler of this world has no claim on me, but I'm going to submit because I'm following the will of the Father. Power under, right? And this is how he showed his love. And this is our path as well. This is how love leads to peace. When we love someone, we don't exhibit power over them. We exhibit how we serve them. We sacrifice for them. That's what love looks like. If the Holy Spirit is cultivating these things in us, we will grow in love and joy and peace. Those things will grow in us. We'll have more and more of them in our lives. Now, Jesus spent the next part of instructions that we didn't go into, but all in chapter 15, talking about branches and vines and bearing fruit and pruning to bear more fruit. And that whole analogy, he just keeps on going with it. So this is all connected. It's all part of the fruit of the Spirit. And if this is who we are, then we will experience peace and we will be peacemakers in this world. On whatever scale we're able, we will be a people who bring peace with us wherever we go. And we'll be known as those people. After all, Jesus said what? Blessed are the peacemakers. Right? So let's, let's be those people. Will you pray with me?